welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, hey, hey. What's up, everybody? Another knock on podcast, and yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy busy few weeks, and honestly, I missed out on some awesome podcasts. Last weekend, I was down with the guys from Black Rifle Coffee. We had an amazing uh, weekend, just shooting bows, making coffee, eating food, hanging out. Uh, I learned to shoot some guns the correct way which was pretty awesome and had all my podcast gear there showed up and guess what my podcast sd card was back at home in my computer from me downloading my last podcast to you as i was running out the door to catch my plane and for whatever reason my zoom did not like any sd card that we had in camp so totally missed out on some opportunities for some really fun podcasts with Evan and Matt Best. We had an awesome weekend and there's going to be some really cool videos coming out, which I'm not allowed to talk about yet. Um, but I think you're going to like them going to be super cool. Uh, but I've got another awesome guest for you here now. Amazingly enough, I never even knew he was so close to me, but he really is. Um, but I've got my buddy Chris Duncan with me. What's up, dude? Uh, I appreciate being here. You're like the fourth person in the knock on HQ. It looks nice in here. This is awesome. Yeah, the only thing I'm missing is I want this needs to have cameras. Like my next step is to do the whole video podcast thing. Um, I'm just not there yet. So sorry, everyone. You'll just have to listen for now. But uh, as many of you know, I'm a big advocate of a couple different brands. One of the brands is Stealth Cam, and Stealth Cam is actually owned by a bigger company called GSM Outdoors, who owns um, another product that I'm that I really like. Actually, two other ones that I really like: Walker's Game Ear, because I'm I struggle with hearing, and then um, also Hunting Made Easy, which I use a lot of those products, like as my bow hooks, and then also my bow stands in my wherever I have my practice fields at. I have HME stands. But uh, you were with Muddy Outdoors, and GSM recently acquired you, um, which is pretty cool because I've got someone that now knows that whole product line because I'm a I'm a huge believer in game cameras, not just for deer too. I've tried to teach that, um, but having someone that understands several of these different products, but probably I'm assuming you're going to be kind of as effectuated with, uh, white tail setups as I am naturally in this area. Most, most of the people in this area, um, just so everyone kind of knows I'm in the Southern central part of Iowa, but you know, if you go an hour and 40 minutes east of me, you got Lee and Tiffany, you come, about halfway, Chris is there, Bill Winky's there. If you go straight south of me, about 45 minutes, you got um, Don and Candy. And then if you go southwest of me, about the same distance, the juries are there. So we're kind of in this little nucleus of whitetail dorks. 
right? It's a whitetail <laughs> mecca. We're all, yeah, we're all whitetail dorks, but I'm, I'm really excited to have someone because <clears throat> I know you've had a ton of success and I'll let you talk a little bit about your background. Um, but I'm excited to have someone close by that can kind of not only see my strategy on my setups and stuff, um, on the farms that I hunt. I think some of them will surprise you. There's some spots where, um, when people come for the first time, for example, uh, I had a turkey hunt that I hosted a couple weeks back or a couple months back. And there's a few guys that were like, Hey, where did you shoot that veteran buck at? And when I'm like, Oh, you want to see it? And I show them and they're like, really? You know, you watch cars go by the whole day. I'm like, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, it'll be fun to uh, have someone there that'll kind of see how I've done it. And then, I don't know, I would value your opinion to say, yeah, this is cool, but, you know, maybe we should change it up a little bit like this too, which is, we're getting close, man. It's, it's what is it? June 5th. Yeah, June 5th, first part of June. So we got six weeks. Food plots will definitely have to be going in, yeah. or at least fall plots. A lot of times when the fall plots go in, it's also when, if I'm making any changes on tree stands i normally do it at that same time i try to make racket in one massive blow and then be equally as quiet in like a massive blow you know where i feel like and maybe i shouldn't be that way um but my way is very very different than like lakoski's lee is lee is like imprinting every day the exact same so the so all the habitat he has just understands this pattern the same as what it would a farmer that's making the exact same rounds every single day but because i don't have the time to do that i go polar opposite Mm -hmm. of if i make an imprint i know that something was affected and i like get the heck out of there and, and just hope for the best and just let the the mucky water settle so What's your, like, what's your philosophy? What's your thoughts on it? Honestly, it seems like it probably used to be more like Lee until I had kids and a wife and a more (laughs) demanding job. And now it's probably more along your lines. I try to stay out as much as possible and it's hard. Like I was talking to you earlier. I mean, I've been so busy. I haven't even had time to like go down to the farms that I hunt in the last month, like at all. I turkey hunted a couple days and other than that, it's just been, it's been nonstop. And, uh, but like you said, it's already June 5th, and, I mean, deer season will be here before we know it. That's the crazy thing about it. It just seems to fly by. If we had swamp buggies, we could get out right now and check our farms. But I know. I don't have an Argo to, like, paddle water to, <laughs> to get out to most of my spots. We've had, is it 11 inches of rain in the last 30 days? Yeah, we've had 11 inches, I think, around here. They said some places um, to the south actually had 12 and oh it was our gosh. fourth fourth wettest May on record. Wow. And I know, like, from a food plot perspective, I mean, as far as, like, we plant a lot of soybeans and corn. And because some of the farms we hunt, it's easiest if you can just, you know, leave crop that's in an ag field yeah. already. But then we've got some farms that there's not ag fields. And, and uh, we actually go in and we plant three to four acres of soybeans or corn on these farms in different spots. And it's been so wet that up until like right now we haven't had an opportunity to and farmers are dealing with the same thing here and all over the midwest i mean the 
I don't know where we're at right now, but I was looking at stuff last week and reading things that they were so, there's I, I don't remember what percentage it was, but they were just an insane amount behind what they usually are. Oh yeah. And well, normally normally by next week corn will easily be knee high. Mm-hmm. It's like you know It's like barely breaking through the yeah, soil. Yeah, it's maybe. like the size of asparagus right now everywhere because it's so saturated. Luckily I'm not seeing much for ground rot. You know, it doesn't look like there's a ton of ground rot. But uh I really feel like this time of year in this June period, right dead in the middle, is a critical time for people to do some really important homework or adjustments. You know, I think it's the perfect time. If you hunted a farm last year for the first time and maybe didn't have success, now's the time to come in and move those stands or move those blinds and then... You know, if you are moving the blind to a completely different area, obviously right now is when you're going to need to be um, the, probably the best thing you could do if you're moving it to a whole new area and you're wanting to establish a food plot on that stand or that blind location. You kind of need to to disc it now and give it three or four weeks to just let all that that new seed grow and and then the dirt's still going to be soft, but you're going to get a whole new, you know, you're going to need a whole new weed bed, but you're going to get a whole new, you know, germination of something that's been dormant for a long time and let it grow for a few weeks. And then at least from my perspective, if I'm doing a brand new one like that, I'll let it grow and then I'll, I'll spray it and burn it down with Roundup. Um, you know, I'll spray it, kill it, and then right there towards the end of July, at least for, you know, we're in the Midwest here. At the end of July, I'll actually burn that spot that I've now, you know, I've turned it once. I've sprayed it hard with Roundup. It should be dead by that end of July. And then I'll actually burn it. And all the green vegetation around the perimeter acts as your fire break. And you don't have vegetation near as high. You know, you don't want to be going into a new area and and trying to round up four foot tall grass so you know to do it this way is ideal and then you know you kind of have a little bit of potash on the on the ground too to where when you uh broadcast that first you know whatever you're going to put in you know for me i like i actually like blends of everything i like a blend of clovers as well as purple top turnips groundhog radishes and sugar beets i like to have all those and i'll normally put about 25 to 30 pounds of uh of either winter wheat or buck forage oats on that too and then 50 pounds of nitro on it and put that in at the very end of july if there's a rain coming or i can i can kind of get away with up to about maybe what do you think august 20th is like real late yeah but it's you getting can, late but you can get by with it if yeah and and honestly if you if you do that burn down late enough and then just do a light, you know, overseed and a drag, you're not going to have the weeds coming up that third time at a rate that's faster than what your food plots are. And it's just been a unreal recipe for me. I've stuck with that since the first, the first year I moved to Iowa. Um, I got here 
actually I got here at the first of August and I scrambled to have a friend come with a tractor and help me like prep some of these first areas and barely got it in by like August 12th. And it just worked so good that first year that I've stayed on that exact same pattern and it seemed to be the ticket. Yep. You do how, the how same. Many, how many acres do you have? I mean, typically plant in the green plots. Um, I have a lot of different, you know, some plots are small, yep. only a half acre ones or whatever. But normally I buy seed for about nine acres okay. of different plots. And I do put some clover in there too. I normally put a clover blend in there just because the clover will establish root base, but it it really won't pop to the point where it's it's offering anything. But in the f- spring, that's those plots were that uh, a lot of times the plots are just eight down to mud, yes. and that clover is just barely there. And as soon as we get some of those first really warm spring days. The clover starts to come in, and the turkeys just love it. You know, the turkeys, the turkeys get in there, and it's good for strutting. Um, It's not like full of mud. And then by right now, the deer have something to eat. You know, this is like an in between time for vegetation. Um, There's not too much browse on the trees. There's not, you know, acorns dropping. The corn isn't high enough. Soybeans aren't. You know, they're not even flowering out yet. So it's those, you know, that small batch of clover that's within those food plots, it's starting to go right now. And it, they really like it. It's so palatable and it just gets them through this like 40 day window until row crop starts to hit a maturity. That's what I going to be later than that this year with how late the farmers are. Mm -hmm. What I've always done in the past and, I mean, I'm always willing to try new things. I, I that's actually I, I've never put I've never mixed clover in into any of our green plots, but it sounds like it obviously works pretty well. But we always just do like a three to one ratio: three pounds of purple top turnips, two pounds of radishes, and one pound of rape and uh, and fertilizer. And we try to get. So do you do rape instead of like a like a buck forage oat yes. or instead of a we'll, winter wheat? We'll go back or... through um, after germination, three weeks after, I'll go back through and uh, put winter wheat over the top. Oh, you will? Okay. Yeah. And it's worked really well for us. Um, and So do you do the rape just to have kind of a brassica in that? Yes. Okay. And, and it's interesting too, like when you have those early season hunts and we've had, I used to be one of those guys back in the day where until I really started doing these green plots, I always felt like I was just wasting my time in early October. Mm-hmm. And now it is my absolute favorite time to go hunting. Like I feel like if I've got a big one and he's hitting one of those plots, as long as I'm smart about it and I have the, you know, the right entry and exit, it's such a deadly time. And, you know, like one thing we've really noticed is it doesn't even take like a crazy cold front to get those big ones on their feet that first seven days of October. If they like the food and they feel comfortable and they're bedding fairly close, you can get in there on a day, even if it's 75 in the middle of the day on October 2nd, that last hour of light, that temperature drops so quick. And uh, we have had just amazing success the first 10 days of October um, since we've started doing that. And <clears throat> And obviously, like the more the more you know areas you have to hunt, the higher the odds you're going to find a a nice buck moving in daylight um, early. 
but I'll tell you what, October, I feel like is such a deadly time of year around here. And we are starting to like try to hone in on that so quick and it's tough to do at times, but, um, we've had a lot of success doing that lately. So, yeah, it's honestly before our big EHD hit, it was way better, at least here, but there was just such a loss during that, that, uh, I don't feel like the numbers are high enough to where I don't feel like I'm seeing the bachelor groups now that I used to see in the early two thousands. You know, you used to see these bachelor groups of eight, 10, 12 bucks. Whereas now maybe it's two or three. Mm -hmm. And it seems like when there's eight or 10 and you have kind of what you're talking about, it's more like a follow the leader thing. Yeah. But when it's, lower numbers overall it's kind of like now you're really playing the mood of that exact deer not like his whole powwow group um are you do you focus on do you look at the moon at all are you a moon guy you know what i actually i've looked into that i don't i i guess i don't I, I, i i'm one of those guys where if if I have the right conditions, I guess I'm going to go no matter what. And I, and, and I haven't really paid much attention to the moon, to be honest with you, to say like, okay, on this day I saw this deer compared it to the moon phase or, or anything like that. So I I can't really answer it, but like, I feel like if the, if the temperature's right and I got the right wind and one thing I have started paying attention to, and I have hundred percent notice to correlation is with high pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Three or four years ago, I would have been like, yeah, you're crazy. And now, like, everybody's talking about it, so I started paying attention to that. And I have seen a correlation with that. But I personally feel like low pressure from a hunting standpoint and the right, the the just, you know, the right temperature um, go a long ways. But I feel like the biggest thing to kill a nice buck is just keeping the pressure low until it's right. Yeah. That's that's my biggest thing, like trying to hunt deer. If you don't know anything else, if you're a super cautious hunter, you stand a better chance of killing a big deer if you wait until all the cards are kind of favoring you and then also the timing. You know, I've certainly had times um, on the places that I hunt where I know there's a big one there and I feel like, man, this is the perfect day but it's also October 18th. Yep. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm even though to me, it seems like, you know, the temperature is going to drop 10 degrees, the wind's right. Honestly, I've, if it's like first seven days of October or last seven days of October, I'll risk it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I play on the side of caution yeah. because I've just found that, um, and I call it imprinting, but I just feel like imprinting means more to a big buck than any of that other stuff, you know, a hundred percent. And the thing is like a lot of people don't even consider is you might get into, you might get into where you're going and, and get out without maybe seeing that buck or spooking that buck or, you know, busting it. But then what happens when he walks by two hours later after dark and he smells where you walked and he's like, mm-hmm. okay, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm starting to figure this out. I mean, these deer, 
even though we live in such an awesome area for big whitetails, I mean, they're, they get old for a reason. I mean, yeah. they're, don't get me oh, yeah. wrong. Like it's a great area where you don't, I mean, a lot of these spots, like you don't have to worry about some of those younger bucks getting, getting shot by somebody, but they get smart and they get cagey and like they, they can figure stuff out pretty quick. Yeah. I've had people here that have drawn tags and I've taken hunting and, um, we've gone into a place where I'm like, Hey, I've got a place. I'm certain if we focus on it for a day or two, you're going to get a buck that you're going to like, but here's, here's the rules. We're riding in the dark and we're riding out in the dark, mm-hmm. you know, and that's gonna, it, it doesn't matter what happens in between. Like the only way we're going to this spot is in the dark, Yep. you know, in and out. And, I've had times where they, yep, yep, that's cool. And then by 1231, you know, they're itching and they're like, well, let's just maybe try a little different, maybe a food plot for the evening. And I'm like, I want you to have a good hunt. And if that's really what you want to do, then we'll do it. But I also want you to know that we will not be coming back here. Yep. Like this, this ticket as soon as we put our feet on the ground right now and walk out of here in the middle of the day, this ticket is burnt. Mm -hmm. And I've had people that every now and then I've had people that didn't believe it and they talk me into going back. And then once I'm there, I can just see the numbers of sightings just, you know, that day they're X, the next day they're X divided by two. And then you go back again. It's now it's, y divided by two and it just seems like it goes half 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 Mm -hmm. and then it's totally burnt yep they figure it out Mm -hmm. we've noticed that with you know i had one of my buddies telling me and this is when it really clicked to me was you know you have your food plots and you got a box blind on this food plot in this spot and he told me a couple years ago and you know these these insulated blinds. If you seal them up, you can get away with a lot. Oh yeah. And he uh, he goes, man. He's like, I don't know what it is, but I think that blind or the blinds that I bought a couple years ago. He's like, I think they're starting to let a lot more scent out. And he's like, because I'm getting busted way more. He's like, the deer are coming out and they're just like staring at at me. And I go, dude. I go, they're. It's not that the fact that they're they're busting you because it's letting more scent out. I said they know to associate that blind in that spot with your presence. They've yep. seen you going in and out of there in those doe groups, that big matriarch doe, like she knows that a lot of times there's someone in that blind. So she's always going to be watching you. And, and that's, that's the truth with anything. I mean, whether it becomes, you know, a tree stand that you've hunted the same place yep. time and time again, that's why so many people say first sits kill. That's why so many guys now are, you know, I hear a lot more people talking about mobile hunting and, and jumping around and, and just catching these deer off guard and ambushing them because it does not take long for them to start figuring you out. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times, especially if you run a lot of cameras, and, I mean, we haven't got into cameras. I really want to. But if you're running enough cameras, you'll find out that sometimes those smart deer, they're only diverting by 90 90 100 yards exactly and they're still very very close but they're just not close enough for you to see from that position 
I change every one of my stands every two years. Yep. I move to a different tree. It's within the same relative area, um, but it's going to be slightly adjusted. And sometimes um, I'll take old blinds that I don't intend on sitting and just put them out there just so that when deer come out and they kind of look at that thing and they walk around it in circles, they do it enough times to where I know that I'm never going to be in there. Yep. And they just, they go there and they keep wanting to bust me, but then they realize nothing's here, nothing's here, nothing's here. That's one of the things that weirds me out a little bit about um, when we do my turkey hunt here, uh, we hunt out of my hard blinds. Mm -hmm. And I really like it just because, you know, you can, you can do so much more, you know, movement and talking. And a lot of times during the spring, believe it or not, I've had deer mess up my turkey hunts way more than turkeys mess up the turkey hunts because the deer will end up moving about that same time. And, you know, if you're on like this clover plot, like I'm talking about, you know, a couple does will move in and, and you're not ever thinking about the wind with the turkey. But if your wind's blowing into the field, mm-hmm. the deer get all wigged out and start blowing. And then, you know, the turkeys blow out as well. But one of the things I found is that I need to either totally reposition the hard blinds for the turkey hunt or almost have an alternative blind for the turkey hunt because one of the things that weirds me out is during this last group I had, you know, we're all having a good time. Yep. You know, we're all That's hunting a good thing about turkey other. hunting. Yeah, we're all having a good time. We kept switching around. But, you know, there's if we're not seeing turkeys, but there's deer out there, people are like talking and laughing and the deer are looking and a few times, you know, my skin was kind of, you know, my hairs on my neck were standing up and, um, me and my buddy Andy were in there and we were having a good old time. And I kept telling him like, Shh, you know, and I'm laughing just saying, Shh, because there's bucks out there with notable like bases velvet and, bases yeah. on and they're looking right at the blind with their eyes just stretched out. And I'm thinking, this is the first time these deer have ever associated, like, a person being in here. Because during the deer season, I would have been in there with, like, a scent slammer. Yep. The wind would have been right anyway. I would have been blacked out. And if there would have been deer in that food plot come dark... I'd have been slowly closing all those blinds up and just sitting in there until I could contact a friend and say, come give me a bump. That's the best way to get out. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, during that turkey season, I was sitting there thinking, man, we've totally blown this <laughs> this whole operation. Like, operation no one's in the blind is officially <laughs> spent. Like, they, they, they build that. And deer even though the, there's certain things I don't think they really remember, they definitely remember association. They do. You yes. know, and they remember association and then they really try to like be reminded of what is it exactly that I'm finding. But a lot of times it's objects, you know, if they have an experience, you know, if you've ever like snuck up behind a tractor and, popped up and shot at a deer and missed it you know you can be in your stand three days later and that deer comes out and it's just looking over at that tractor and head bobbing up and down Mm -hmm. it's like they do build association with 
with objects. And that's a big reason why I tell people, hey, man, if you're bored out of your mind and you're staying, it still could cost you a buck of a lifetime if you decide you need to, like, launch at squirrels or oh, there's, yeah. like, a possum under your stand. I used to do that all the time. I did, too. I don't do that anymore. Dude, yeah. I mean, <laughs> th- when I was, I would say, 20 or less, the amount of times where I was in my stand with one arrow left thinking, <laughs> okay, I have to save this arrow for prime time. Yep. Because I just launched it, everything and anything. Every little animal that moved and twig and leaf. I'm going to shoot that leaf out there. And, yeah, I know what, I know what you're talking about. I was hunting um, in Wisconsin years ago. I was up um, on this farm. Um, actually, I was hunting with some of the packers. And uh, Brett was there. It was during a, bu- a bye week. And uh, Favre was there. And I could see his stand was like right at the other end of my field and this coyote two coyotes came out i think and they were kind of coming through this tall clover and they were kind of going down the they they were a ways out there but they were going down the edge of this field and it was early and we had only been in the stands like 30 minutes so i thought i'm just gonna launch a shot at this yodi you know i thought it'd be cool to drop a long bomb and let someone watch this lighted knock rain out into this thing and smoke this coyote. Well, I shot, just missed it. Arrow like sticks, not high enough to where I could see the knock, but it was like obviously just barely in the alfalfa. So fast forward two hours later, here's the buck that I wanted one of the two of us to get comes out and he's like coming down this exact line to where he makes a right he comes by me he makes a left he goes by brett type thing and he gets exactly to where my arrow missed that coyote and he stops he kind of picks his nose up he sniffs around and then he puts his nose down and just kind of goes right up to where that arrow was stuck in the ground and he could smell where i had grabbed it and knocked it on my string Mm -hmm. and smelled it and just spun around and was was gone. gone. Just like that. I thought, dude, if I wouldn't have shot that arrow, this would have played out perfectly. But me lobbing an arrow out, you know, I put an object out there a hundred yards from my stand with my scent on it. And it, totally wrecked the whole party yeah wigged him out (laughs) yeah i have i have uh you know i talk to people with you know having the job that i have i get to talk to a lot of hunters from all across the country it's amazing how different deer will act in different parts of the country like if you go to like a crazy high pressured state for instance like michigan i have a couple buddies that they actually lived in iowa for a while and they actually they did hunt down by me and um now they, they he moved back to Michigan because his, they had a kid and they wanted to be close to family. But he was telling me when he was here, and he still talks to me about it. And he said, a trail camera. If I mean, I'll go out and I'll put one on a you know a, a ground mount right in the middle of a field or on a you know there's a mm-hmm. scrape right there and the deer around here, typically generally for the most part. Don't get me wrong. There's some deer that some some mature deer every now and then will avoid them. But um, if you do that up there they will just wig out and they i mean they see anything like a trail camera or box blinds up there anything like that that's just they are 
100% assuming there's a person somewhere close. Yeah. And in some of the areas where the populations are higher and, you know, in our area here, a lot of people still own slightly bigger farms yes. overall. Like, whereas when I lived in Wisconsin, um, I remember the very first property I bought was three acres, like 2.9 acres. And I was pumped to have my own place to hunt. Then it was 10 acres. And then, and then I got a 40 and most of my friends were hunting like anywhere from five to 80 acre piece, pieces of ground. And that's so, for the, for the most part, that's kind of small around here. Yeah. Yeah. And for around here, that's really small, but you know, I can tell you down in Mississippi where I'm from, you know, you go down to Southern Mississippi, um, like down near Natchez or, or even Cleveland, um, I'm honestly anywhere down in the South, if it's something different, there is an acclimation period mm-hmm. and there needs to be a substantial amount of time where that a lot of times it's that matriarch doe or that buck builds kind of lets their guard down. And in those situations, I think those are like the perfect example of, why it's probably not a good idea to get in the habit of continually checking your cameras. Yep. And honestly, why this new, like this new stealth cam, I I can't wait because stealth cam just came out with a, um, a new camera that now takes Verizon cards before it took AT&T cards, which I know for, it's weird. It seems like, I know people that have AT&T and I've been on so many hunts and they don't have a drop of signal and they're always borrowing my phone. Yep. And then every now and then they'll have the most extreme coverage in the dumbest of places with their AT&T. And then I'm left in the dark with Verizon. So now the new stealth cam mobile stealth cams have Verizon, which is going to be dynamite. They do, and they and, and the the one thing like through testing and everything else with these Verizon cams, um, from a standpoint of the majority of the Midwest is, a lot of people forget that, you know, like if, if there's an area where your phone picks up signal but it's kind of like you know iffy, those cell cams have these big antennas on them, so it's even going to be better. I mean, through some product testing last year, I was actually shocked to see even down in like pretty low areas where my phone I couldn't make a phone call mm-hmm. when I when I put the, the camera up and left I'd be able to log into the app and had full signal so that was pretty cool I mean I was shocked at how, how well the Verizon cam would work even in areas I mean remote areas of Monroe County for example and um, and they are a game changer they're a game changer because you don't have to go in there, like you said, to check the cameras. Yep. Um, the battery life is exceptional on them, so you can leave them out there for two, three months at a time. Depending, on, obviously, it all depends on the weather and how many, you know, how many triggers it's getting, as far as how many deer or whatever else is walking in front of it, or how much you're choosing to exactly. to send it to your, you know, to yes. if Setting, it's like take it a picture, send me a text. Like yes. if you have it on that, it'll cheat through batteries. It will, yeah, quicker. Um, but yeah, they're the cell camera. Just cell cameras in general are 
such an amazing tool for a lot of us. I mean, and like one thing is like I was talking when I was talking to a couple of buddies about it. I'm like, okay, now that we're acquiring more of these stealth um, cell cams, the cell cam might cost a little bit more than let's say a, a typical trail camera. But I don't have to drive down and check it now. I don't have to yeah. you know, take my time and, and use the fuel because we've got farms that range anywhere from. If you go twice a month to check cameras, you've already paid for it just in exactly. your time. Exactly. I mean, 100%. And then you paid for it. And and when you're going down checking them, you're, you're obviously impacting that area. But then the real-time results or the real-time, like, information is insane. Mm-hmm. Like. It's almost kind of, it almost is like when you're sitting there and you're you're hunting or you're like at home and you wake up in the morning to decide where you're going to hunt and you're like, oh, I'm going to check my app. And then you check your app and you're like, okay, my target buck or this buck was over here. You know, it's kind of yeah. like, it's, it's, <laughs> some guys are like, ah, I don't know, that might be too far, but I'll tell you what, like, as long as it's legal, I'm going to do everything I can to put myself in the best situation to harvest a really nice buck, you know, yeah. or, or the deer I want. And from that standpoint alone is, is, is incredible. I mean, there, there was a last year, last year, late muzzleloader season, you know, like we've been the one, the one thing that I like the fact that we do at GSM is we, don't just rush to bring products to the market. Mm-hmm. We are all hunters. We want to make sure that we're not going to sell something that we don't believe in. So we go through, you know, pretty good, pretty good testing process on a lot of the stuff. And um, it was actually we had one. Um, this this is an example of where a cell cam helped me shoot a buck, but I had one. Uh, Oh, it was probably half an acre. It wasn't even like a food plot. It was just the farmer didn't pick this little half acre section of soybeans. And I'm like, eh, I, there's a little bit of snow on the ground. It's late season. I'm like, I don't see a lot of tracks here, but I'm just going to throw a camera up. Yep. So I threw that camera up and there was like nothing on it. I mean, for like a week, like very rarely did I get much going yeah. on, you know, like does and a couple little bucks. And it was New Year's Eve and... I was sitting around the table, you know, hanging out with some buddies, you know, drinking a few beers, whatever. And all of a sudden I pulled up the app and I'm looking, I'm like, holy crap, there he is. It was, <laughs> it was a buck that we had photos of for three years and he just showed up out of nowhere. Yep. And I'm like, and it was like 10 minutes after shooting light. And I'm like, I'm like freaking out at the table and for everybody like, Oh my God. Yeah, this is awesome. I know where I'm sitting tomorrow morning yeah. or tomorrow evening. So what I, I went down there and he did the exact same thing. I mean, right before dark, I, I, I knew right where he was probably betting at based on that, you know, where yeah. he was coming from on that picture. There he was. I looked and I just kept waiting and I only saw seven or eight deer that night and yep. he was one of them. Yep. So, without that like i never would have just randomly went down there and checked that i I maybe would have checked it you know once or twice like because i was out for maybe six or seven days so maybe i would have checked it once before that but i would have been like eh, there's nothing on it yeah so like that real-time info from a cell cam perspective and the fact that stealth camera now has verizon is going to be a game changer for a lot of us throughout the midwest here and all across the country but i mean i know a lot of us here in the midwest we're just waiting for 
you know, we're, we're waiting for that change for, from AT&T to Verizon. Well, last year was the first year I really got into mobile cams. Mm -hmm. um, in the years past, honestly, I've kind of got, um, I've got away from a few things. One, I've got away from trying to figure out everything that's going on and like making this crazy hit list to where, you know, I, several years ago I shot probably one of the biggest deer I've ever shot. So that huge 12 pointer? Was, um, he, was it that big giant typical you killed? No, it's a big non-typical. Okay. It's, it's, yeah, I'll show them to you. Um, but I had no idea that deer was there. Um, the cameras were, there were cameras all around them, and I actually found pictures after I'd shot them. I thought, well, I might have pictures of this guy, and I, sure enough, I did. Yep. But they were in an area where it was invasive for me to get there, and I kind of just had cameras there. A lot of times when I get those food plots in for the first time, I'll put a blanket of cameras out. Yep. But then some of them I won't ever hit until... Either I'm, like, having to mow a plot, like if I'm mowing clover and I'm driving by and I'm in the tractor, I'll do it. Or if there's ever, like, a super windy day where the wind's just, like, you know, it's one of those, like, extreme weather days where yep. you don't want to be in a tree. and But it's, like, you know what, this is, like, the perfect day to just buzz around and check every single camera card put a fresh card in there come back go through these things and kind of know what's happening prior to rut um but none of that had played out so this was maybe my second or third time in a stand at all and when he came out i didn't really look at him long enough to notice everything he had i just he when he came out i saw two big flyers on his g2 and i thought Oh yeah, that's I like those. I'm gonna kill this deer, yep. you know, which is nice in Iowa. If you're if you're a resident, you know, you have multiple tags, so yes. it's not like when you're in a state where you need to inspect every single thing about that deer and be like, am I for sure okay burning my tag like before rut even gets here? Um, so I wasn't in that mindset. I was just like, he's got some character. I'm gonna shoot this deer, and I shot him, and then. When I got up to him, I, you know, I kind of just looked at him from 20 yards for a minute and thought, I would tell people this is not my deer, but I see this knock-on arrow, like, sticking out of the thing's liver. So, <laughs> I know he, he grew. Yeah. Actually, it was like a quartering two shot is what it was. Um, I remember... I thought it was back, but it, no, it was a little bit forward. He came and turned towards me, and I shot him like on a quartering two shot. But the way he was laying, I could see that arrow sticking up. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, that's for surely mine. But then once I got up to him, I was just like, whoa, this is cool. And then when I started to turn the rack, I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's got that. And holy cow, he's got, you know, seven brow tines. And I'm – and I just remember that excitement of not knowing what was there. And I'm like, this is, this goes back to when I was a kid and, you know, my uncle would take me hunting and put me in a tree and I'd say, well, what's coming around? And he'd be like, well, I don't know. I mean, you'll just have to see. The, the unknown. Yeah. Is, is and and I liked, I really liked the unknown aspect. Um, but what I really like about, 
the mobile cameras is uh two years ago i started hunting in oklahoma um kind of leased a spot down there okay and um i've elected not to do it now but um at the time and so it was nice to have cameras that could give me information you know um all the way up here when so, you're hours and hours away yeah I mean, that's 10 a, that's, hours that's a away yeah 10 hours away not to mention um i actually use them for security you know i've got i've got some hidden you know by gates i've got some hidden by buildings or by farm equipment and you know it's like you know if, especially if you haven't like do some video too it's you know if that video is on that card you know you can get the picture if they take the camera you've already got the picture um there's just so many applications for them and i'm a big believer in a big believer in cameras for turkey hunting mm -hmm. i'm like a, you know it's changed my way of turkey hunting just doing a little bit of homework for about two weeks before season and just starting to build patterns to, you know, I feel like flocks make very consistent loops and stuff. They definitely do. You know, sure. I think there's definitely times where you can get a gobbler to come to you and he might come in and do that thing, but he also is going to, he knows where he's going immediately after that. And sometimes they go there first, but they know where you're at and that's why they're responding to you. But they're like, Hey dude, I got to make my rounds. Like we're doing this. I'll be over there at two 30. Like, you know, oh, I'll be there at two 30. You can come to me now, but I'm just going to gobble at you and let you know. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're there. I'll be there in five hours. We, we always have a, well, we've, we've had a Turkey camp. We, we call it the, the muddy Turkey camp. And we've done that now for, I think this year was our fifth or no, this was our sixth year. And it started with like five of us, and then um, the last two. No, this is the yeah. So the last two years we've had between twenty-five and twenty-eight people, mm -hmm. and we're very. I mean, we put our homework in as far as like knocking on doors and getting permission to a lot of farms and being a local around here. You know, a lot of guys and and a lot of the guys that are hardcore deer hunters. If as long as you're a good neighbor to them, they're like, dude, go shoot turkey. I don't care. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, but what we've found out and we've had crazy high success is I'm not as worried about where they're roosting at or where those birds are gobbling at first thing in the morning. Like, I just want to know where the X is. I want to know where they want to be. Mm -hmm. And if you can get to where they want to be and you're patient, just wait and they're going to show <laughs> yeah. up. They, they will show up. And once they show up and you've got your deeks out there, um, you're, you've you've done you've done what you need to do yeah. and um we, we've kind of fine-tuned that now over the years because we've been hunting the same farms for like i said five six years so now we know okay day before the season like i'm gonna go put a blind here i'm gonna put a blind here i'm gonna pop you know blinds up yep. here and and uh obviously you know if, if you're a really good caller that that helps but there's some people that come down and turkey hunt with us and they kind of just hang out in the blind and wait and the other decoys there and maybe yelp it's a few productive times and, man yeah. some people feel like it's very anticlimactic for turkeys to not you know wait for the sun to just crack and blow your croak all and hear one 
shock gobble and then wait till the perfect time to yelp and he responds and you yelp again and he responds and then he pitches down and flies close and struts right in i mean that's that's all that's all fun yeah that's that's fun but it's also i I would say less than 20 percent of the time it plays out that way but i I would say 80 percent of the time if i'm in a place where I know they like strutting and where I know they like to stage prior to fly up. Mm -hmm. Like I think strut zones, mid morning strut zones and roost staging are my two favorite places to just, to just be and wait. hundred percent. Even if the conditions suck. I, uh, I went hunting with a buddy of mine a few years ago and he was, kind of fat lipped about how he wasn't having turkey success and i said okay i've got a spot you know they're coming down here late morning and everything and i mean the rain was coming down as hard as it could come down and he kept saying let's get out of here and i'm like hey man they're gonna be here yep he's like i've never shot a turkey in (laughs) rain like this and there's turkey just or there's rain splashing off the clover like you can see it just hitting and splashing there's that like thick of water and he kept you know he's like i knew i should have just worked today and he's like (laughs) totally moping about it (laughs) and then i told him like hey man i have a good feeling about 10 o'clock and by 9 30 he's like let's just get out of here you know i don't think you know i've just i've never shot a turkey in rain like this and wind like this and then I talked him into staying, and then sure enough, about ten fifteen, I look over, and here's this huge gobbler just kind of walking in all balled up, just kind of he's kind of got his head tucked down, but he's just walking over and comes into the decoys and just stands there and, like, lifts his wings up and kind of just shrugs his head down, and he's just hunkered in there, and I'm like, shoot him, dude. And he shot that one, and then all of a sudden, like, as that one got shot, here comes another one, and he's, same thing, just walking in. And we were, you know, how you said it was perfect. We were on the X. They just, they knew that turkeys gathered there, and so they just thought we were part of the gathering. Exactly. And I think the decoys work better in those situations because they're used to seeing them in those locations, too. Yep. Um so yeah, he he actually doubled, got both of his birds tagged out, and then uh, in true fashion, he said, "Geez, my turkeys are so wet, my pictures aren't gonna look good." And I'm like, <laughs> dude, you're the biggest Debbie Downer I've ever ever met right now. Like, be happy about it. That's funny. Um, well, what do you? I'm gonna put you on the spot. Yeah. So. Because I feel like this has changed for me over time, but uh, tree stands or blinds? I'll be 100% honest honest with you, blinds. (laughs) I I, I killed my buck from a tree stand this year, though. I've killed a lot of my bucks from tree stands. majority of them I've killed from tree stands, but like I told you, I've been kind of spoiled buying buying some of these box blinds, and and, um, I'm not wealthy by any means, so what what we've done on some of our setups is like we buy some box blinds and then we we put them on like a, a grain wagon or yep. a uh a hay, hay rack yeah and you know That's we got smart. that one blind on on this farm and like i told you earlier like okay this 
you know, we've got five or four or five smaller green plots on this farm. Monitor monitor those plots with cell cams or trail camera, what any, any trail camera. Um, find that big deer and then move it in, move that blind in, and you can hunt it the same night. It's crazy. Do you move it throughout the year? Do you just we move, move it all the time? We move it. You you can move them the same day here in, in this area. I'm not saying, I'm, and I'm not saying like I, I it, we're lucky. We're hunting deer that are on pressure, but they associate they associate that with just like a regular piece of farm equipment as yeah. long as you drive in and you leave. But like the one thing that that I think, and I'm talking about, I'm talking uh, during the rut. I there's nothing like being in the timber where it's just on fire and there's a hot doe that came through and I mean if there's bucks running if everywhere. If it's the two week peak of the rut, I want to be in a tree. I agree. That's exactly right. I need to be able to spin. Yes. Twist. Oh, it's I. There's something like the rut, but like if I want to kill them before or after, I want to be in a blind. Um, and we we started using we started using quite a few bail blinds. Um, obviously they're cheaper, right? Yeah. So like I'm like okay. And, we, and even though we had the perfect wind, um, as the evening started to, you know, the sun started to set, evening was coming to an end, food plot was filling up with, with does and small bucks, all of a sudden that wind started to die, this thermal started to drop, next thing you know, one doe bust in, it's like, oh my god. Yeah. So, that actually happened two years ago. We had a bail blind, we had a hot food plot, we had actually two really nice bucks that were going out there. And I went in to try to kill him with a bow, and when we had a perfect wind walked in, last 30 minutes when that big dude's going to move, uh, thermal started to drop, and the whole field busted. So I told my buddy, who I actually, we leased this farm together, I said, dude, we got to get a box blind in here and just mm-hmm. close the windows and wait. So we did that, and then my wife was next, the next person to get a hunt there during early muzzleloader season, and it was the same scenario. The only difference was we kept the windows closed mm-hmm. and we didn't have a deer smell us. We had deer coming, you know, 10 yards in front of us and those thermals started to drop. And I think a lot of people don't, you know, they look at wind direction, but they don't really pay attention to what's going to happen with the thermals in the mm-hmm. evenings. Um, but yeah, she shot a really nice buck that night. Um, that I know if we would have been in, in a stand on the edge of that plot, we probably wouldn't have. Yeah. But, I think with new hunters, it's really advantageous because they're more fidgety you know i've got to the point now where i can just freeze and just zone out and just sit there but people that you know are really wanting to look at stuff and don't kind of know the difference between like an armadillo scooting along the ground and a deer walking or kids too oh yeah yeah when when my boy was in school you know in junior high and high school if he wanted to go hunting, yeah, if he wanted to go hunting, I'd pick him up at school. We'd go there, and he'd just do homework in the blind, and I'd just tell him when it was time for him to pick up his bow and put the window down. Um, I think they're so useful for that. I also think they're um, they're safer, you know, overall. Um, unfortunately, so many people neglect continual maintenance on their stands. And if you do, it's you're just rolling the dice. Hundred um, percent. There and there's a lot of people that even to this day are not using safety harnesses or safe lines and everything else. And we isn't never that weird. It's, there's been a big transition though. I, I mean, there has been fifteen when I started hunting. This is 
this is it blows my mind but like no one thought about it back then but like I killed my first deer with a bow when I was 12 years old and so that would have been back in like I don't know like the late 90s and I went with my uncle my two uncles got me started bow hunting and they took me out and there was those stands I don't know if you ever saw them but they're like they folded in half and then when you then they'd anyways so you'd go to unfold them and they'd have like I would say like bark biters on each end mm-hmm. and you'd find a tree that had a Y and you'd put that thing in the middle and then you'd step down on it and it would yep. just, you know, go like that. Just, you know, it kind of sink in. They that called tree. those something. I'm trying to think what they called them, but yeah, the, you'd always put them in like the tree crotches. Yes. And this thing, I mean, the platform on this was probably, it was, a two by eight. It was so small. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like a guy I that I used old. to work with Joel Maxfield, uh, he was my boss at Matthews years ago. Joel would go out and just climb trees like a monkey. I mean, he'd have his bow in one hand, binoculars, and he yep. had this little like two by ten kind of wedged out and he'd just get up in a tree and like stomp this thing into a little crotch and oh just stand yep. up there like a freaking like a damn crane or seagull, he just be up there like that, <laughs> and no, no one wore harness. You, no, no, dude, it's you crazy that stuff. Yeah, I, uh, I actually was talking with um, another buddy of mine that was mutual friends with with Joel and I both, and his name was Brandon, and Brandon and I, we filmed each other. I mean, this is back, this is back when like Monster Bucks was maybe in it's like fourth or fifth season. Yep. I mean, it was, it was really the thing to film yourself then. And we're filming ourselves with like VHSs and like high eights, you know? Yep. And I remember those little, remember those little mini ones too. That well, we yeah, did. that was the next step. That was the next one after yeah, that. Yeah. And, um, well, yeah, when the high mini came out, that was like a pretty big deal. I've got just Ziploc bags of those. But I haven't, like, I don't have a camera to play him back. And he, I think he paid a company to go back and convert them, convert to them all yep. to digital. And so he was texting me some of this stuff of us, like, going up and down these trees with screwing steps wrapped around these trees. We're 25 feet up, mm-hmm. no safety line, no bow rope, no harness. And I mean, dude, we have a bow in one hand, binoculars, and we're just running up and down these things like a bunch of idiots. I know. I mean, I told him, I said, can you believe we did that? And he goes, we didn't know any different. He's like, that's, that's exactly just, right. we had no, he's like, we did not know any different. He goes, would you do it now? And I'm like, no way. I'd look up at that and I'd just say, I'm not getting in that. And exactly. I would leave. It's not worth it. Yeah. I, I won't even climb a tree anymore without a uh, safe safety line. line. I will not do that. Like and that's one thing that the guys I hunt with too. I mean, I w- I wish everyone would follow that rule. On my place, every every single tree has a safety line, top to bottom. Yep. There's persic knot, har- you know, like tether cords. In addition, so that you know you can use the safety line to get on your stand. Yep. Then you can clip on your tether clip off the safety line exactly and every single stand is like that and if it's not i don't go and that's one of the reasons why even though i get invited on some really fun spots with friends 
I just don't go places anymore where I don't feel like I know what type of care people put into their stands because I had two really good friends seriously hurt themselves falling this past year after I did a freaking, you know, safety podcast about like, hey, everybody, make sure you do this. And next thing I know, both of them, one of them was a ruptured spleen, oh my um, gosh. like serious condition, ended up in uh, intensive care in the ER for, I think, like five or seven days down in Kansas City, you know, seven hours from his family. The other and both of them were seven feet or less off the ground. The other one was a broken spine. Yep. And it's like it a does not take very seven foot fall. Be that high. Yep, seven and foot fall. Just think some of those stands, you know, that a lot of us are hunting that are 18 to 22 feet up or whatever. I mean, you fall from there, it's not good. and You're dead. You're done. And the thing is... Or, cri- or permanently crippled. Permanently to a point where, like, it's it's not good. And, and I mean, it's... I, you know, a lot of us that are guys, like, especially when we're younger, we, we think we're invincible. And we're like, oh, that's not going to happen to me. I won't, I won't fall. Like it, it won't happen. And I've talked to a couple guys that have fallen, and they're like, you know, I didn't think it would ever happen to me. And I figured, okay, if I go to fall, like I'll probably be able to grab something or like brace myself or do something. And both of them are like, dude, it happened so quick. There was nothing I could do to stop it, and it was the whole way down, just going, oh shit, like this is bad. <laughs> yeah. And and the thing is, dude, like we we got kids we got families we got wives all mm-hmm. these people you know they depend on us to be there you know to come home well and, not to mention like i look i looked back at some pictures the other day i thought about posting um my freshman football picture but it's one of those ones where i thought people would just laugh too hard i mean i'm a classic example of Hitting puberty, think you're the toughest thing yep. there is. <laughs> yep. I went from being five foot, 130 pounds when I was 10 going on 11 to a year and a half later, I was 6 to 135 pounds. And then by the time I was a freshman in high school, I was 6 3, 140 pounds. And I've, I've got a freaking mohawk. I'm sitting there in my football picture <laughs> thinking that I'm the toughest thing out there. And yep. I look now and I'm like a total beanpole. <laughs> but, dude, like me falling off a tree limb back then, I'm 100 pounds heavier now. I know. Like yeah. it's not, you know, even though I feel like I'm the same, your ability to like one-handed monkey catch yourself falling when you're a hundred pounds more onto one hand it's not happening dude i know i mean it's it's just it's not happening it's not and i, and I feel like we're to a point now where the education's out there and I, I don't mean to beat a dead horse but i feel like there is there's no excuse for it anymore there's no excuse to see or hear of people falling out of stands um and it's so easy to take shortcuts and it's so easy to be like, oh, I don't want to use a lineman's belt when I'm hanging a stand and it's kind of a pain in the butt, you know, and 
it's just it's got you just got to do it i mean you got to yeah yeah you can't out of all the things that you can like you would be better off going into a open mat mma night yes like you if (laughs) if i just went into like alpha male and just went in there and like mendez and faber in there and clay guida and just said Okay, I'm going tonight. Let's like, go and I'll watch. I'll yeah, watch let's and videotape do this. it. I would be so further ahead doing I that. I guarantee you that people listening right now want to see that video. <laughs> I will go with you. I've and been, let's do it. I've been choked. Listen, Jocko <laughs> broke my throat. I haven't even told people that, but I've I was so like in. I don't know. I was so just in the moment of, holy cow! I'm freaking rolling around with Jocko, that I forgot to tap and like we didn't talk about that i think he just assumed and he did some kind of a i don't even know what it was called but i was just doing my best to like give this guy all the strength i had which honestly he put me in a move to where the harder i clinched down on him the more I forced his knuckles to collapse my windpipe. Oh my gosh. And I forget what the bones called in there, but I could hear it cracking and breaking. And he kind of said like, Hey, this is an extremely violent. This is like a collapsed. This is like a collapsing choke, whatever it was. I don't know. You know, this is, I'm like three days into jujitsu at that point. And I was like, yeah, I can, I can hear it break. And he's like, dude are you gonna tap and i'm like oh yeah and i freaking tapped he's like you okay i thought i heard something pop i'm like oh no i'm good and i kind of you know a lot of times if someone puts you in a choke your throat's like kind of sore for a few days or whatever yep no i just like kept getting it actually was like sore and kind of felt aggravated but then i don't know starting maybe I guess I'd have to ask Andy maybe about nine months ago. It actually got to the point where it got really bad. So this was recent then. I mean, this wasn't that long ago. It was one year ago. Okay. Yeah, it was actually, it was the beginning of August. So it was 11 months ago and it got really bad. And then it got to the point where I'm like, I have a, I have a mass in my throat. So I kind of was worried about having throat cancer. So I went and they stick this like camera up through your nostril and they go down the back of your sinus duct to inspect your throat and they could see they're like something's like pushing back so then i ended up having to get an ultrasound what had happened was he cracked that um cracked that throat bone whatever it is it's pretty small but then when it fused back together and grew it's like kind of callous where the where kind of where it fused together yep it's just got this you know it looks like plumber's putty kind of around that bone like a knot around yeah and that knot is dead even with my little flipper but it's on it's not in my throat canal it's behind it but it pushes on the back of my my windpipe which my windpipe so it pushes into that thing. So I always feel like now I always feel this lump. Um, so I would still be better off with a broken throat from yes. any of the above uh, friends and fellow uh, MMA guys or any of these spec op guys that want to 
pull crazy moves or shoot me in the face with stuff or whatever they want to do, <laughs> I'd still be better off with any of that yes. than taking a gainer off a seven, 17 foot platform. Oh like my gosh. hundred percent. You know what else? Uh, the other thing that totally blows my mind is how many people do not know how to put a tree stand on a tree. I know it's, there's a lot of people that I mean, don't do it right. I have gotten stands, and I'm talking like um, a good quality stand, not like an old chain-on, lock-on. I'm talking a good current stand. And the amount of people that I see that have the top and bottom strap on, but then, the you know, the stand it's still loose, loose so then they put a ratchet strap around it. It's like, hey, has anyone ever showed you how to do this? And they're like, well, it's how I've always done it. They just don't get tight. It's like, no. Here's what you do, people. You put the platform up. You take the top strap, wrap it around the tree. Make sure the the tree stand is against the tree. The platform's up. Wrap that belt around and cinch it so that the belt is perfectly parallel. That's one of the biggest things right there people don't do. Yeah, they end up having it like going up already. Yes. So it has to be perfectly parallel. Once you do that, grab the whole thing, including the platform, and jerk it down on the stand to kind of cinch it. Mm -hmm. And then once you kind of get that little bit of pressure there, then take your bottom strap, wrap it around the tree, and snug it up, not as tight as you can, but I would say 80% tight. And then after you've done those and it's, you know, it's vertical to the ground, the kind of your little bat wings or depending on what kind of tree stand you have as long as they're biting on the bark at the top part of the stand then you fold the platform down and when you fold the platform down it actually cantilevers out and that pressure cinches down both straps and if you have the bottom strap too tight you won't be able to get the platform all the way down so then you raise it back up jerk the whole thing down again to cinch it Loosen up the bottom one just a little bit, and you'll be able to press it down to where the stand is 95% down, or the platform is 95% down, and then you can literally grab it and just like pull on it really hard, and it just cinches and binds the whole thing and into the tree, exactly. and it won't move. The amount of people that don't know how to do that is staggering to me. I think that a lot of people just have never, they've never been taught or had an opportunity to understand how to do it. So then. They just they haven't figured it out because maybe they're only hanging five or six stands, and well, that's just the way I do it, you know. And the platform cannot be down, and you get and you're not if the platform's down and you have a well, I would say the mass majority of stands don't have ratchet straps on them; they have cinch straps. Yep. The platform has to be up. You have to cinch it tight with the straps straight across a tree, like ninety degrees to the to the vertical part or to the main, you know, I guess, what'd you call it? The main bar of the stand, I guess, you know, be 90 degrees of that. And then grab that whole thing with the platform up and just pull it down. So you're biting in the, the back, you know, attachment of that stand into the bark. Then you put that bottom strap on, cinch it to about 80, 85%, pull that platform down, and it'll just lock right into place. And this, and the same thing with like climbing sticks too. I've yeah, seen, the I've amount of so people, people that like grab the climbing stick and go like way up 
as high as the top step and then back down to hook it on and they're trying to get it tight. It's oh. never gonna get tight, you know. I mean that's the thing and Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that quite a bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got uh I probably have I would guess across a thirty mile radius of my house, I probably have thirty stand locations. Yep. And objectively, I try to never hunt the same one twice. Yep. I will hunt within visual of one I might have sat, but I if and especially if I'm pegged, like if a if a doe or a buck wins me and like looks right up at me, even if he doesn't wig out, if they if they've pegged me, and I know that I need to be in that general area because there's a hot doe there, or I've got a buck pattern and maybe didn't show up. I can't go there. Yeah. Like that's one thing you, you know, that's when people, um, there's a lot of people talking about saddle hunt, you mm-hmm. know, I've, s- I've seen more s- of that now saddle hunting discussing it. Yeah. You know what wigs me out though? I just saw this on a cover of a magazine in the airport yesterday. Like as an industry, we have got to get better about not trying to look like full, um, I guess to take one of my buddy Andy's words, tactical assholes as bow hunters, Mm -hmm. the cover of the magazine had a guy in a tree saddle with full blown tactical knee pads on. (laughs) Okay. And he's, he's out swinging out from his tree saddle. He's got fricking knee pads on with like plastic kneecaps and he's at full draw, fully face painted up. And I'm thinking, dude, like this is the most try-hard picture I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people to a lot of people hunting is somewhat of a fashion show. I've I've noticed on yeah, Instagram and I mean, I Facebook I do some, get but... it. And honestly, I legitimately love my knee pads that are in the Sitka pants. Yep. Like at first I always kind of thought they looked a little boxy when friends of mine would be walking around. But now that I've used them for like you know, when it comes time for like field processing, um, or if you're spotting and stalking and you're, you know, I crawl on my knees I could a see lot. That being very useful. Then. It's super useful. Then if I were to go white tailed deer tree stand hunting, I would not have exterior like hard shell knee pads on. That's that. I mean, that's, that was probably some type of photo shoot where the person in, charge of it hired some models that and none of them really understood what was going on and it just got i just got pushed through i hope so i couldn't totally tell because of the face paint it somewhat resembled someone that i might know and i was like dude please (laughs) tell me you're not going down that route but maybe i don't know maybe i'm wrong maybe that sells you know i don't know maybe that sells or maybe the knee pad company paid uh paid the cover of this magazine to to be on there that's the other part that gets hard it's actually one of the reasons why i kind of went away from writing in magazines because i don't think it's right that you can i don't think it's right that a company can pay an advertisement page for price for a page and someone can write an article in a paid advertisement slot Mm -hmm. like i think that's kind of weird i agree it is um i don't know some of that stuff just kind of got to the point where it's i just didn't agree with it and you know everyone has their own business so 
I'm sure it's not hurting anybody, but, um, I don't know. I felt like it just took away from the fact that I was, I was writing based on something that I really thought was helping someone. And in the end, I can just write the same thing and put it on Instagram for free. And it's, well, it goes, I think it goes to more places anyway. What, uh, what's out of all the GSM products, what do you use walkers at all? Have, I do. You yep. do? I Which ones do you use? Have you seen the, the new micros? Yeah, I've I've used the the the, ear, the Bluetooth earbuds. Yeah. Um those are those are really nice. I actually use those and I'm like I was just mowing the yard a couple of days ago and I like those instead of the muffs because when oh, I'm doing yeah. something like that because you know, especially like right now it's what is it like 90 degrees out. <laughs> so then when I'm doing stuff outside this time of year, I like that. Um, as far as like when I'm hunting in, when I'm hunting in blinds, I always wear the muffs. Yeah. Um, because I've had like my eardrums busted out before when I shot a gun in a blind <laughs> without, without them. Oh yeah. And, and it's so nice when you can just sit there and like, you know, you can, people who haven't used them are shocked when you put them on and you can turn up the amplification mm-hmm. on them. And you can just whisper. Like someone could be sitting next to you and you're whispering to them. Yep. And they can hear everything you're saying. And then as soon as that gun goes off, you know, or that loud noise or, you know, your, your the mo- baffle kicks yeah, in. Yeah, it just k- kicks in. And, but yeah, I mean, the, the GSM brand, there are just so many awesome companies underneath of that um, that make up GSM. Um, I think there's. Ben, Ben's been on the podcast in the past. Ben, yep. I knew Ben way back when uh he worked for another company he was in wisconsin at the time and uh we both kind of went down different paths and then you know he actually i was just telling you this at lunch he called me and and said you know hey man um what cameras are you using and honestly i had i had so many different cameras a lot of times when i'd go to them and like put batteries in them for the first time I would have to think, wait, how do you navigate this menu? Mm-hmm. And then he told me, he's like, hey, I want to, have you seen the new stealth cams? And I was like, dude, what? Like, I might have a lot of cameras, but, you know, at the time before GSM bought them, stealth cam was a way different company. And then he's like, you got to see these new ones. And then I saw them at the show. And I remember putting batteries in the camera and the clock was already like within, I think within an hour or so. I think yep. if it's central time, you're already there. And then just being able to navigate a menu without directions was really, really easy. And then I kind of self-taught myself on the um, on the mobile one two years ago when I got the first one in, in Oklahoma. And honestly, that was... Uh, hunting the hme products i got that the the big battery packs with the solar top they'll last forever then yeah yeah i got one of those and kind of put that up in the tree faced it you know faced the solar panel the right way brought the cable down plugged it you know pretty much hard plugged that bigger battery directly into the camera and it ran the entire year in oklahoma without any problem but what was cool about it was um, before I had that on there with the app, you could see what your battery life was on each camera. You could go in and change like 
your photo rate you know you could change your time your delay time or you could change your photo resolution um, it was cool to be able to do all that from an app and not have to actually physically open the camera case and do it it is cool and like like the you know and i think there are, the other thing too is um the stealth cam is one of those brands that i can comfortably say is is at a good price range for people too yeah, the price points are are very competitive, and the quality is off the charts for those price points. I mean, and the what's awesome is if you don't have, if you haven't got a 4K camera, the sound quality is like as good as a iPhone. I mean, it's it's amazing. You, yeah, if you put your iPhone on 4K and had it on your food plot and hit record. It's every bit that good. You know what's funny is I had never heard drumming in like in real life. I've been in blinds where I've had my buddies go, and part of this is because, like I said, I, I struggle with hearing. But I've had buddies go, I can hear something drumming. It's like, what? And they're like, there it is again. I can hear something spitting. And I'm like, what? And then I look out, and there's like a fan right out the window. But with the the 4k camera i posted some stuff this year on my instagram i had some turkey flocks where the strutters were coming by the 4k and you can hear them drumming and spitting yep and i was like man this is crazy because if i was out there with just my normal ears i couldn't hear any of that Mm -hmm. that's i got those um from a walker standpoint i got those little micros yep there's a blue one and a red one. They're really teeny. They kind of have this little, it looks like a plastic antenna, but it's mainly just so you can grab them because they're, they're so deep in your ear. But I really struggled the last three years elk hunting, being able to hear bugles. For whatever reason, I can hear certain sounds still fine, but certain pitches or tones I can't hear anymore. And... I just got tired of uh, my buddy Dusty being like, oh, I just heard one. Did you hear that one? And I'm like, where? And he'd point there, and then I'd call, and then I'd just be able to make one out, and I'd be like, I think it was that way. He's like, no, <laughs> it's definitely that way. And then uh, once I got those figured out, I was able to to hear some of that stuff, which – if you have a if you're hunting with a camera person a lot, which I do most of the time, my camera people mo I think all of them have good hearing and they constantly are telling me like, dude, you would have never heard that thing if I wouldn't have told you. And I'm like, yeah, if I don't have if I don't have my earphones in, I can't hear any of that stuff. It's a game changer. We uh we had uh, speaking of hearing loss. So I obviously I work a lot of trade shows um, throughout throughout the year, and I was at the shot show, mm-hmm. and we had or I was you know working with customers, and it's a we sell product at that show, and I had a a family come up, and it was a husband and a wife and a little girl that was probably I would say eight or nine, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you ever looked into like the price of some hearing aids on the market but they're not cheap no yeah they're definitely not and this this little girl she had she had hearing loss for whatever reason it was hereditary like she just could not hear that well and her mom and dad were just they were just randomly walking by the booth and saw our product 
and they were looking at it and I went over there and talked to them and they were looking at the uh you know the new the new bluetooth wireless earbuds and they're small enough where she could put those in her ear and it wasn't like you were wearing those big muffs everybody yeah. sees you know it, yeah. these were like you know small enough where you have to be at the right angle to see him. Yeah, you do. And he goes, the, the dad asked me, he's like, do you think that this would help with their hearing? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to open this package, and if you don't like this, yeah. then you're, you don't have to buy it. But like, yeah. I just, I want to help her because I know it's going to help her. Yeah. And uh, so we opened them up and, you know, gave them to her or whatever, and she put them in and we turned them on and... and dude her eyes like lit up she's like she could hear so much better yeah. her dad's like are you kidding me and then they you know they like took a picture with me and he's they were just so thankful and grateful but like they, they work for so many different scenarios but that's when it really opened my eyes i'm like holy crap like this little girl now is gonna be able to wear these at home in the car mm-hmm. with her parents and hear stuff that she never would have heard before I took my first pair of walkers maybe three or four years ago and went to Sam's Club and then had them do the custom molds where they they spray inside of my ear. They made molds. Mm -hmm. And then I think they sent the molds to walkers. Mm -hmm. And then I got back my walkers with... They're like little green things exactly for my ears. I can just twist right in. Um, but they do have the, the kind of the original Walker's battery pack that hangs over the back of your ear. Yep. Sometimes that would get cold if it, if it was really cold. So that's kind of when I switched up to having the, the micros, but yeah, I think if people are struggling with that, that's a really good product. When do you, uh, when do you start getting your cameras out? Like, when are you going to do that? Usually after July 4th, I, I kind of get more... I'm always I'm always thinking about you know whitetail hunting, but it seems like you know it's usually after July Fourth when they get a little bit more development. And even then, I mean, we all know that they can grow just, an inch a day. Yeah, and just because they're there in July doesn't mean they're going to be there when you can hunt them. But I just it's inventory it purposes is. at that point. It is, and you know, like the buck that I shot this year with my bow, we only had a couple pictures of him in the summertime. Um, and never had a picture of them again after that. So if I never would have put my cameras out in July, I wouldn't have had those cool yeah. velvet photos, you know. But, um, yeah, usually July I'll start, you know, putting cameras up on, you know, we got some mineral sites that we'll, we'll put them on. And then I really go hard on inventory starting in August. Um, yeah. It's <clears throat> when I'll, I'll dump out some grain and, <clears throat> and I'll do that pretty hard for three or four weeks. Um, I like the last – Two to three weeks before, like, you know, some of the first ones are going to lose their velvet. Like, I like to have about two to three weeks of being able to get a few photos in velvet. Like, I used to like looking at the pictures every day. Mm -hmm. But once you get beyond that point and you kind of just want to know what's there, you want to have some before and after pictures, I feel like getting them in right after those food plots are planted, Yep, um, you're going to be able to get velvet pictures in the last portion of the maturity the first section of hard horned and then kind of be kind of set the stage to maybe build a pattern yeah that's what we're doing we we basically pull them you know like once september first or second rolls around and you know they start 
I've had I've had the earliest buck I've ever had shed velvet was August 22nd, and then you know anywhere to typically like usually I just say like September 1st through the 6th is when I see a lot of them shed velvet. But um, we'll move them from there to to mock scrapes and to you know field penches and and you know on on the edges of, of food plots we started putting you know, mock mock scrapes or you know actually what we've been doing is like taking post and doing a taking a post hole digger and then putting a post uh wooden post right in the middle of the ground there yeah. in the middle of the food plot and then getting inventory that way because it seems like every buck that comes out it's like a community a, rub post yeah yeah like they a, love that they do they really notice a difference on uh like new any type of new like branches or mm-hmm. leaves or sticks that are in like the middle of a food plot they like to either go smell them or rough them up yeah for sure what batteries do you recommend most I mean, i've never really asked ben that but out of all the brands like you can't really go wrong with like any lithium battery um but what about rayovax i don't i don't know I, I i i guess i don't know for sure but i've been using lithiums and had you know they last forever it seems like I don't even know if I've ever bought a lithium. <laughs> yeah, they're more expensive and they're like lightweight and they feel like they're not as much of an as an alkaline. Like you feel both products are like, yeah, this thing isn't gonna last that long and they last way longer. Hmm. They okay. cost they cost more, but yeah, you don't have to buy batteries as often. I normally, um, if I put brand new batteries in during uh, like this time of the year. I can normally go all the way up until about late season and my mm-hmm. batteries are, you know, maybe at about, they're not that bad. They're at like 30 or 40%. Yeah. And I mean, granted, depending on like your photo rate, you know, if it's an area where I'm just on a trail, I can go easily a year. Yes. Um, but if it's on like, you know, a uh, salt lick, if it's on, if it's definitely, if it's on bait, um, or if it's like in a high concentration food plot area, then normally right before late season starts or normally the last few days of archery season, I'll go out and change all the batteries of my camera so that I know the winter will, you know, if it hits zero, it'll be pretty hard on batteries. Mm-hmm. So I take all those batteries and I'll set them to the side and then I'll normally leave my cameras out through the whole winter and all the way through turkey season um, with that same set of batteries. And a lot of times I'll use those ones that are like on 40%. I'll use those for like kids' toys or also for, uh, I'll use them for uh, TV remotes and stuff like that. For so, sure. Uh, but um I had one more question for you I was going to ask. One was batteries, and the other one was um, what's probably the number one, like, Q&A thing that you get relating to to cameras, like troubleshooting thing that is just a common mistake people do that might give give them some type of trouble? I would say the direction that people face their cameras. Um you know, facing them directly into the sun. It's never, you know, if you want the best photos you can get, the most crystal clear photos, no false triggers, face them away from the sun if you can. Oh, really? Yeah, don't okay. face them directly at the sun. And um, 
not saying you're gonna have a lot of false triggers anyway, but just the quality of the photos will be so much better if the sun is at the camera's back. Okay. So that, yeah, that's one of the biggest things that I would say. I always try to face them if possible north and south. Yep. I mean that's kind of for me that's the other thing I see commonly. This dro- this drove me nuts when I was on a, when I was on a lease is you know we bought um brand new cards for all the cameras yeah um especially you know you want to use a higher speed card especially if you're trying to record video um class 10 or higher yeah uh but what always drove me nuts is when and then we had secondary cards that were all in like that little card coffin case Mm -hmm. so we'd go out you'd remove a card put the you know, put one of the older cards in, you have to, at least from my point of view, you have to get in the habit of just going to menu, turning it on, hitting up twice so you get a format, and just immediately do a format, and then you're totally set. But when people take their cards out, take the, all the f- the pictures and just delete them on their computer yep but don't but then don't actually reformat the card that's a big thing too, that's a right. big big thing because and especially guys that are using different models of can or different brands of cameras oh yeah those guys you're gonna have as issues. soon as i pull one out of like the stealth and i put it in my computer and it says like cuddy 001 i'm like yeah. great yep. like we're screwed. They're not yeah. going to be on here. Yep. Yeah. You, if you get in the habit every single time of always formatting, if you remove a card to check it and put it back in, just format it. Get in the habit of formatting and make a big difference. Otherwise, like if you have a Mac and you have that card open, if you delete X amount of pictures off but don't flush them out of your trash, they're not gone. They're not gone. They're still there. Yeah, they're still there. They might not. You might not think they are, but they're still there. Yeah, yep, exactly. Um but uh I think that'll I think that'll cover it. I think anyone out there that's wanting to start thinking about deer and whether you want to or not, you kind of have to. I mean, this is one of the hard things uh for me right now is I'm trying to everybody's got bows like, you know, they everyone who's trying to play ahead of the game is wanting bows before summer they're wanting to use their bows at like total archery challenges and some of the shoots i'm wanting to prep for total archery challenge i wanted to be able to put a series out prepping other people for the total archery challenge but then i also am like having to do some of these small things on the farm as well and it's just running into time like my commitments to people for bow builds and commitments to myself for being prepped um are just like overwhelming right now but whether you want to or not if you're serious about having success during the deer season you got to put in some homework and it's, it's less than four it's months time. away it's time it's yeah. less than four months away. for us it's crazy but think about for other people like i know you know Alberta is opening August 25th. Mm-hmm. It opens, you know. I'm trying to think where else. Somewhere else opens super early now, too. Someone told me the other day, I'm trying to think. Doesn't Kentucky open pretty early? Yeah, and I think North Carolina is, like, okay. ridiculously early. Maybe it's South Carolina. I don't know. I was with someone in Texas last week, and they told me, they're like, yeah, we open in X amount of days. And I'm like, what? Yeah, dude, it's crazy. 
it seems like it goes by faster every year and like the biggest thing it's so easy to like procrastinate and not do things now and say oh I can do them you know in July or I can do them in August and it's like man you just we've tried to get better at doing that just staying on the course and like getting a game plan like this is you know like drafting out everything that needs to be done for the for the year and like when are we going to do it and and trying to stick with it but because because you know before long it's it's going to be time to go oh yeah yep well we need to uh reconvene when food plots are going in and for sure. i want to you know get some of your get a few of the these new blinds you're telling me about i want to check them out yep and then uh maybe get some get some setups going and then you know maybe even try to film it to where we can kind of show people like very specific layouts i think that'd be sweet kind of how we would how we would play it out and um i don't know i i feel like more times than not if you set the stage if you kind of if you build it they will come so to speak if you set the stage and give them all the things that they need and then play your cards at the exact moment they need to be played um it just seems like success is you're going to get an opportunity there's certainly ex- exceptions super high pressured places where you might build this place and 10 people trample through it mm-hmm. during the next 10 days well yeah i mean i'm sorry i can't help you out uh but for those of you who are you know i don't know i guess i'd call it like hobby farms people that have small setups or have the ability to kind of nurture their land uh i think some of the things that we talk about will definitely help them i agree yep all right dude well thanks for coming by i appreciate you having me here you have an awesome place man this is this is sweet yeah well I'm uh yeah I'm I'm glad it's finally coming together too. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of times where I've been podcasting from a kitchen table and stuff too, so it's kind of fun to to have a place to have home base at. So um but yeah, we'll have to do it again and hey, thanks everybody for tuning in and do you have uh any social media accounts people can jump on? Just go to uh at Chris Duncan 170 on Instagram and then follow us on on all the GSM brands you know anything under GSM go to GSM outdoors and you'll see all the products we have to offer and um, got a lot of cool things in the works so just keep following along 170 I'm assuming is your Boone and Crockett whitetail hopefully yeah. <laughs> used to be the weight I wrestled back in the day oh actually. gosh <laughs> yeah yeah if mine was my freshman year it'd be uh John Dudley, 135. That's funny. (laughs) All right. See you, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com.